trying to be like Bill tonight and have water up here. I couldn't find a glass cup, so I had to settle for plastic. I forgot to remind you tonight as we began that we have, um, on Sunday nights, have stopped passing an offering plate and have uh, put a, a plate there at the door. So if you're looking to, to give in, in that way tonight, then you can do that as you as you leave there by the door. We're pretty used to warnings as Americans. Um, we live in perhaps the most warned culture in all of history. Uh, there's a warning label on everything you get. The warning label for medications that you take is typically um, five to ten times longer than the instructions on what to do with it. Um, and the, the warnings almost make you frightened to take medication. Um, I, we were watching a comedian last night, and he was talking about some of the warnings and, and whatnot that you see. A uh, really, really funny episode. I was thinking ab- about that today and, and did a quick search. There was a, uh, there's a warning on the Dremel rotary tool. It says, this product not intended for use as a dental drill um, <laughs> for people like Mike Pope. So um, if, you go to, if you go to Mike's office and he's using a Dremel, know that he's using that against the instructions of the, of the company. Uh, one of my personal favorites is actually in Peru when, when Bill and I went the first time to Chalco, we went into one of the medical clinics and I had to use the restroom and the guy said yes in the back and they were doing some work and I, I made my way to the back and one of the most disgusting toilets I've ever seen in my entire life uh, sat there and as I was using the restroom above the, the toilet said do not drink uh, from the toilet. and. You know, I was thinking, I'm glad that warning sign was there. I was really thirsty. Um, I, another another good one that some of you have seen in Peru that's one of my personal favorites is um, you've driven through, you know, all kinds of curves and cliffs and, and all that good stuff that you've, you know, conquered your fear of heights or, or at least grown in your faith in the Lord. And about halfway through, there's a sign that says dangerous curve ahead. And it's like that's, that sign could have been, you know, an hour down the road behind us would have been really helpful. Um, you know, just some funny stuff. Hair dryers are notorious for great warnings. Uh, hair dryers on them, several of them, if you look on the tag, it'll say do not use in the shower. Um, I don't know if any of you have tried that. And one of them that uh, the guy last night was talking about, he said he said a hair dryer, and he, he opened up the instruction booklet, and I found it on the Internet a, a little earlier today out of curiosity. But it says do not use while sleeping. Um, you know, it, it's incredible that, that somebody would take a hairdryer and use while sleeping or in the shower. But evidently people do this. And to us, it's quite humorous. I mean, it's really funny to think about some of these things that people might actually do. And, 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 and we sit here and we laugh, but it also is the reality that there's somebody that probably needed that warning. Or they would have done that, you know. Um, you know, so to the person that forgot there were curves on the road in the middle of the Andes Mountains, it was probably a good thing that little yellow line or yellow sign was there. Um, and, and Paul moves us in the same direction tonight in Colossians chapter 2. So open your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. You understand that last week, if you were here, Scott preached from 2 uh, verses 8 through 10 or actually the last couple of weeks he's been in those verses and then up through verse 15. In those verses, Paul warns us not to be taken captive by empty deceit and vain religion. And he warns us in, in those verses not to allow 
religion to take us captive, not to be taken captive by, by traditions of man, okay? And, and he moves on again with three more warnings tonight to the church before he starts into chapter 3 next week of, what, of how we live in Christ. How, how do we live out our life in Christ? How do we put on the new self and, and focus our mind on Christ? And then what does that look like in our, our family relationships and our work relationships and, and all those things? But, but here tonight in verses 2, 16 through 23, Paul moves to three very specific areas of warning towards this young church in Colossae. And I would say the same area of warning, the same warning label, so to speak, will be appropriate for the young church of Grace Baptist as well. That, that they are things that we don't particularly struggle with now for the most part. I think some of us probably do. And you'll see what I'm talking about in a little bit. But, but in, in some ways, what we talk about tonight might seem a little ridiculous. I would say some of us sitting here in here tonight as we read this and study this, some of us would go, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Who would really do that? I mean, that was Middle Ages. But the reality is that, that Paul understood for the church at Colossae, and, and we need to understand now as Grace Baptist Church, that these same type struggles, these same dangers present themselves to us today. And, and so right there in verse 16, before we read the text, we start right away in verse 16, therefore. And it's important in understanding what we're going to read tonight that we understand what the therefore is there for. You understand that anytime you see that word, Pastor Bill's talked about that a lot, anytime you see that word in Scripture, it's an important marker and you need to understand what has come before. What is he referring back to? Okay? And, and so here, Paul is simply referring back to verses 11 through 15 where he talks about the work that Christ did in nailing our debt our sin debt to the cross. Okay, this is what, this is what Scott preached on last, last week, that, that we have been set free from the bondage of sin because Jesus has canceled our debt. Okay, and so Paul says, okay, knowing that, knowing what we've talked about there, knowing even back into what I talked about in Colossians chapter 1, when, when, when I wrote to you, church in Colossae, about the supremacy of Christ and all things, knowing all of that, Knowing what you know about Christ, knowing the, the, the truth of the scripture, the gospel that was passed down to you, knowing these things, I want to warn you about three dangers that you're going to confront. And I want to warn you about dangers that you're confronting right now as a church. Okay? So the basis then, when you, if you look at 11 and 15, the basis is this, is that, that we live in freedom. Freedom under Christ we don't live a life of religious duty we don't live a life where we're trying to do's and don't our way to heaven to try to achieve a certain level of spirituality to earn God's favor we live free in Christ well, we'll read several, several passages tonight out of Galatians because Galatians deals with this a lot this, this topic of being free in Christ how do we live out our faith in Christ knowing the freedom of God's grace okay and so that's where we're coming from tonight that he says therefore since you live free in Christ since he has canceled the debt of sin now I want to warn you of these areas not to fall back into them so let's read together tonight starting in verse 16 God's word says this therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon, new moon or a Sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. 
but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, talking, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by the fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So, so Paul essentially comes here and, and he's, he, he warns them of false teachings. Teachings that would turn Christianity back into this mere religion. Right? You ha- you've probably heard the question before, is Christianity a religion or is it a relationship? You've heard that question. It's a question that I think is an important one to be asked. It's much, Christianity is much deeper than that simple question. But it's a question we need to wrestle with and work through. Is it simply a religion? Is, is Christianity simply a list of do's and don'ts? Or, or is it more than that? Is it a relationship in which we follow Christ as our Lord, as we seek after him? Here, here's the key that I want you to see tonight. As we look, we're just going to look at the three warnings that Paul gave the church here. And as we look at these warnings, here's what I want you to see. Paul, in every one of them, brings the church back around to Jesus. There, there's three statements that he brings the church back to Jesus. How do we guard against heresy? Christ. We talked earlier, several weeks ago, we pointed out to you that, that we don't know exactly what the specific heresy was going on in the, the church at Colossae. We don't know exactly what was being taught that was so important for Paul to address. We, we have guesses. We have, we have guesses of, of Gnosticism and, and, and that the Gnostics were coming in and teaching you know, false teachings and trying to pull people away from Christ and, and, and the Jews and, and all kinds of stuff. We have, we have some guesses, but Paul never identifies it. He never says, this is going on and here's how you handle it. He, he simply says, listen, here, here's the deal. Watch out for these things. Remember Christ. Remember who Christ is. Remember, he's supreme over all things. Remember, he canceled your debt. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done. And as we do that, as we do even what we did this morning, when we gather together and we take of the Lord's Supper and we reflect back on and think back on what Christ did on the cross, you understand that guards us from some of the things that we will talk about tonight. That guards us from false teaching to think back on who Christ is and what he's done so so the first one the first warning is a warning against legalism it's found in verse 16 and 17 legalism is simply the the real strict adherence to the law it is it's when you try to add anything to the gospel if I if I say Jesus plus this will get me to heaven that's legalism if I get to the point where I start thinking you know if I just do this then I will bring pleasure to God and I will please God so that I can make it. Anytime I start adding something to the gospel, then I'm stumbling into legalism, okay? In in verse 16, he instructs the church not to allow anyone to pass judgment on them according to the old covenant. You you see the three, three things he refers to. He says, don't let anyone pass judgment in regards to food or drink. 
What, what was the purpose of this? In the Old Testament, there, there are many dietary laws. What were, they, what were they there for? They were there to teach the people to live pure lives, to live lives devoted to purity for God, holiness. He refers to the new moon, which is a reference to the festivals. The, the festivals, what did they do? What were the festivals for? They, they caused the people to remember and reflect back on works of God. Well, what had God done? And, and so all the major festivals taught a different thing that God had done to, to keep the people focused on who he was and what he had done in their, in their life. Okay? So, so the festivals pointed to those. The, the last thing he said, he, he, do not let them uh, judge you, pass judgment on you in regard to the Sabbath day. It, this, this was there, the, the Sabbath was there, why? To remind them of God's rest in creation. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you on, on that now in regards to the Sabbath day now, Paul says. So, so you have all these things that were a, an essential part to the life of the Jew, but Paul now says, listen, don't let anyone pass judgment on you according to those things. So, so the question is this, if, if they're not to pass judgment on you, what role do those things play? You understand that, that we as Christians live under the new covenant. We, we no longer live under the old covenant. We no longer, no longer live in, in the, the rites and the rituals and, and all the rules of the Old Testament. They're not invalid. We don't throw them away. We don't chunk them because they all teach truths about God and give us wisdom and understanding of how to live a life that pleases God. They, they teach us about his character. What does God desire? Those, every rule has a positive element to it. There, there's a positive element that teaches us. So what is the purpose of the law? Well, what is the purpose of it now? Flip over to Galatians 3 really quick. Galatians 3, I want to read about eight verses to you from Galatians chapter 3 tonight. Beginning in verse 19. Well, what, is, what is the purpose of the law? And Paul explains it here. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 3. Paul says this, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise has been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. So you already see this, in the, the, the law is not sufficient to impart life. If it was, then we, that's where we would have got it, gotten life, eternal life. He continues, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What does he say the law is there? The law is a tutor. The law is the tutor. The, The law leads us to Christ. Think about those things that Paul referred to here in Colossians. The dietary laws that instructed them in purity. How does that lead us to Christ? Are we perfectly pure? 
No. But who is? Christ. The, the dietary laws foreshadow the purity that is found only in Christ. Only in Christ. Well, what about the festivals? The festivals, they told of the work that God did. But then you look in, if, you, if you'll do a study, I think I, I, I preached a sermon on this one, one night here. I know you remember it, so, so I won't have to rehash any of it. Um, but, but if you look at the I Am statements of Jesus, that's a fascinating study. As he walks in and he says, I am, and ties many of those to the festivals. He says, listen, you're, you're looking for life. I, I am the true life. I am the light of the world. And he ties that to the, the, the Feast of Booths. And, and the festivals that, that declare the work of God foreshadowed the perfect work of Christ. Each one of the festivals foreshadowed the true, perfect, redeeming work of Christ in the new covenant. The law is a tutor. It leads us to, it points us to Christ. The Sabbath foreshadows the rest that we enter in with Christ. You see, all these things point to Christ. In verse 17 of Colossians chapter 2, flip back to Colossians 2 now. Verse 17, he says that these things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. All these things, the, the dietary laws, the festivals, the Sabbath, all these things were a mere shadow of what was to come. A shadow. They, they, they gave you a dim, a very dim representation of what God desires, of who God is. But when Christ came, the shadow was no longer there. The reality was there. What does it describe Christ as? He's the substance. The law is a shadow. Jesus Christ is the real thing. Jesus is the substance, Paul says. The substance. Why, why would we go back to legalistic laws and rules and add to the gospel when we have Christ? What else do we need? Christ is all we need. You see him bringing the people back. He said, listen, you're going to be tempted to add rules. You're going to be tempted to take something so simple, the gospel is so simple, that you're saved by faith. Simply saved by faith. You're going to be tempted to take something so simple and so basic and add rules to make yourself more spiritual. And, and add requirements on people. Well, you have to do this. If you're really saved, then you're going to do this. I mean, you've got to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And then you need to be at the men's study if you're a man or the women's study if you're a woman. And you better not miss more than one Sunday school in a 12-week time period or you're not going to heaven. I mean, none of us would line that out. That's nowhere written in Scripture. It's nowhere written in any document at Grace Baptist. But do we ever get caught up and start thinking things like that? Maybe not that rigid, but do we ever get caught up and go, well, <laughs> they probably don't love the Lord as much as I do. They're not here as much as I am. They may not even be saved. Paul says, why are you going to add to the gospel? Why, why are you going to add? Is it wrong to be here all the time? No. I love it. I love seeing the sanctuary full. I love it when the youth room's full. I, I, man, those are great things. But that does not merit salvation. 
you understand that God is happy with you, period. He has saved you by grace, period. I, I'm not going to all of a sudden fall out of good standing with God because I didn't meet an expectation or a rule that's not in the bounds of the gospel. Paul says, listen, stay focused on Christ. Remember that he canceled your debt through faith. So let me ask you this question. What do you, he says there in verse 16, do not let anyone pass judgment on you. So does Paul here mean, I think we have to answer this question because it's such a, a misunderstood topic in the church in America. Is Paul here saying then, you cannot judge me? Is he saying that? Is he looking at, looking at, um, looking at me and saying, listen, Todd, there, there's never a point that Pat Jenkins can judge you. Is Paul saying that? No. You, you understand what, what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying, listen, this is sal salvific in nature. It's talking about your salvation. You can, don't, don't let anybody judge you on whether or not you're a Christian and you're a child of God. Don't let anybody judge you on that. I don't whether you observe the Sabbath just like you used to have to and you do all the festivals. Listen, if you don't go to this festival, all of a sudden, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Don't, don't let somebody judge you just because now you're, you're, you're eating this and they say, no, you're not supposed to eat that, but you do eat it. You don't, don't let them pass judgment on you. Listen, you're judged by one thing. Do you follow the gospel? Have you confessed Christ? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? It's by faith you're saved, by God's grace in Christ alone. That's the gospel. So no one judges. I don't, I don't look at Max and say, Max, you're probably not a Christian, brother. I, I can't judge Max's heart. I don't see that. I don't know that. That's for God and Max. I can't look at, look at Max and say, you're going to hell. I know it. I can't. That's not my place. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 5. We're not going to turn over there, but if you, you flip over there tonight when you go home, he, he makes a clear distinction in 1 Corinthians 5 where he says, listen, don't judge outsiders. It, you're not to judge outsiders. That's not your place. God is the one who judges in regards to salvation. God is judge alone. But then he says, but you are to judge one another. Cast the immoral man out. We are to hold one another accountable. Read Galatians 2 tonight. We are to hold one another accountable. I, I, I sometimes chuckle at Galatians 2. I think it's something that we have no idea of the, the true nature of what happened and, and just the atmosphere. I mean, to be a fly on the wall. You have Peter. I mean, he walked and talked to a Christ, and we know the stories of Peter and you know, Peter's mouth got ahead of his brain a few times. And, you know, and I, we understand that. And we know that when he denied Christ, all those things. We know those things. We know those stories. But then Peter, after the resurrection, man, Peter takes charge. And we see the sermons. We see Pentecost. And we see how God uses him to start the church. And the mighty works that God's doing in the life of Peter. And what happens in Galatians 2? Paul realizes Peter has done what? He's allowed people to add to the gospel. This, this whole idea of circumcision gets, it creeps back in the church. And so what does Paul do? Oh, well, I can't judge him. No, Paul confronts Peter. Can you imagine? 
I mean, I'm thinking a fly on the wall in that situation. Paul going, hey, listen, Peter. <laughs> yeah, do it. You know, Peter's probably going, you know. I mean, this is a pretty big deal that happens here. And Paul holds him accountable. Listen, well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we balance that? I know this isn't, this isn't exactly why we're here tonight to figure out the whole area of holding one another accountable and, and all that and judgment within the church, but we hold one another accountable by God's word. God's word passes judgment. If you see me doing something that scripture says do not do, then if you love me with the love of Christ, you confront me about it. That you just come and say, hey, listen, can I talk to you? Listen, you, you said this the other day in front of the students, and that probably, that was very inappropriate. Okay, I, I confess that, I, and forgive me, that was sinful. We, we have a responsibility as a body of Christ to guard the purity of the body, to hold one another accountable. We see that out of love. And so Paul's not saying don't let anybody ever judge you. What he is saying is, listen, your salvation, your standing before God is not determined on a bunch of rules. So this whole area of legalism, this whole idea of legalism, how do, how do, we, how do we live and not become legalistic? How do we live within this freedom that Christ has given us? I think there's, there's kind of three boundaries that help us out here. The first one is found in Romans 6.1. Romans 6.1. It simply says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We can't ever allow God the freedom that God's given us. We can't allow God's grace to be an excuse for sin. That we go, oh, hey, man, God saved me. I'm free in Christ. I'll do whatever I want to. I'll just, man, I don't even, I'll never come to worship. That's not a big deal. Baloney. It is a big deal. God's word clearly says don't stop meeting together. Gather with other believers. If I, if I just don't show up for a while, I want you to come tell me and say, listen, you're, you need to come. You need to come. You're, you're outside of God's will. You need to do this. Don't let your freedom be an excuse for sin. Paul says in Romans 6, 1. That's one, that's one parameter. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul tells this. He, he says, take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. The way I live in freedom, the freedom I have in Christ, in God's grace, I need to be careful that it does not become a stumbling block to someone in our congregation. You, you understand there's, there's people here that are Christians sitting in here tonight and some of you some of us some of you whatever are, are very mature spiritually you've gone through a lot and and, and god has, has just moved you along in the process of sanctification and you i mean you're just further along than you were here maybe it's just because you've been a christian for longer than i've been old or been alive i, I don't know why mate for whatever reason but you're just super spiritually mature some other people in the room are very spiritually immature and so the, the ones that are very mature, you, you have a responsibility to say, listen, I am not going to let my freedom in Christ cause me to be a stumbling block for those who are immature. And so if doing this, even though there's nothing wrong with it, it's not causing me to sin, if I did that or went there or whatever it is, if that's going to cause this person over here to stumble, I'm not going to do it. 
Not because it's wrong for me to do it, but because Scripture says don't be a stumbling block for this person. So don't be a stumbling block. Don't let your freedom allow you to be a stumbling block. The last parameter I would say is this, is that Christian freedom is always in step with following Christ. Always in step with following Christ. If we're following Jesus, and we're simply doing the li- living life the way he lived life, and we're, we're set on the things that he set his heart on, and, and the things that he taught, we're pursuing those things, that takes care of a lot of problems. It takes care of a lot of problems. If, you, if we live within those, those boundaries, so to speak, that triangle, I guess, if we just say, hey, listen, here's the walls, I can free in there. Man, life is, life is golden. It's golden. We are free in Christ, in his grace. But we can't abuse that freedom and become legalistic. So is legalism something you struggle with? Is it something you wrestle with? Is it something that's a danger to our church? Sure it is. Sure it is. Because it's easy for us to allow personal convictions or traditions that we've grown up with in the church to become a standard that we come to qualify as this is what it means to really be a Christian that loves Jesus. So we need to watch for those. Watch for those. Sick and cling fast to the word. Hold fast to the word. What God teaches. The gospel. And guard yourself from legalism. The second thing, the last two are much shorter. Don't worry. <laughs> but legalism is tied. You understand legalism has close ties into the, the others. And you'll see that. It's like the second thing Paul says in verse 18 and 19. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. Uh, he's, he's, guard, he's talking about mysticism here as he gets in. And we'll talk about it. When he says that, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. It's, it's an athletic terminology. It's a, it's, it's a terminology, if you think of a referee or an umpire that disqualifies someone or kicks them out of the ball game for not following the rules. Well, what is the prize? Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize, eternal life in Christ. What, what is the prize that, that we would be in the presence of Christ's salvation? Paul warns them those or warns them of those who would try to charge them with not following the quote-unquote rules and he's already laid out the rules the rules is salvation through faith by God's grace in Christ alone it's not like it's not about following a bunch of rules it's not about some great experience you look in verse 18 and 19 let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement talking about self-humility the worship of angels taking a stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind it's, it's mysticism it's spiritual experiences that have no tie to God or his word this great spirituality you, you, you understand the appeal of spiritualism of mysticism in our culture that they were naturally attracted to the, to the very spiritual and Paul warns us of three things there. He says, listen, be careful of the one who really delights in humility. That just walks around carrying themselves. And you, you know, you've seen these people that they're just super spiritual. And I mean, they're just, you're thinking, wow, that person's very spiritual. You know, you don't know much about him or what they believe in. He's really spiritual. And he's very humble and knows it. 
And I, I once heard, if someone knows they're humble, then they're far from it, right? They're, they're nowhere near it. If I walk around thinking I'm humble, he says, listen, they, they delight in their humility. They delight in their self-abasement. It's a false humility, though. And then he refers to the worship of angels. And, and we think, I mean, even in our culture today, it's very similar to Colossae. In the city of Colossae, there was a great, a, a great attraction to angels. Our culture is the same. I mean, angels have a great following. But the truth is, angels are what? They're created beings made to worship and serve God. They're not made to worship. They're not intended for us to worship them, but, but the people had elevated them to a place of deity. They looked to them for protection, for success, to destroy enemies. They, they, they sought out the angels. And he says, be careful of that. Be careful of this real spiritual experience, this spiritual focus on angels. And then he says, be careful of the one with these grand visions. These grand visions, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. These visions, man, listen, this is a huge appeal in our culture today. You've heard of these, oh, I had a vision, I went to heaven, and I saw this, and now we all have to do this. And, and I, what? Where is that in Scripture? I mean, our stu- listen, if you think this is, you're crazy, our students deal with this exact topic, exact topic. About once a month, I hear a student say, so-and-so had a vision, and now they need, they said we were all supposed to do this. My reply is typically, ask them to show you that in Scripture, please, very nicely. Because they don't find it in Scripture. These people are adding, what is this becoming? It's becoming legalism. And they're making themselves out to be great spiritual people. I'm so spiritual. I had this experience, I had this vision. It was so clear. I saw God doing this, and I mean, there's books on it. And it's something that's so appealing, it's tempting. It's tempting to get involved with and look and be impressed by it. But Paul says, be careful. Listen to this quote. All right, Warren Wearsby wrote this. He said, it's worth noting that a true spiritual experience with God leads to submission and service. When Job met the Lord, he said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Peter fell down before his Lord and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord and confessed how sinful he was. And when John saw the risen Christ, he fell at his feet like a dead man. The cheap familiarity with which some people approach God in prayer or talk about him in testimony or conversation sometimes borders on blasphemy. We make this great spiritual experience and it becomes more about me. And we turn into these books, and you see the Christian books are filled with these. These great spiritual visions that people have had. And it's all about my vision, and me, and my, me, and my. But, but it's contrary to when you see this happen in Scripture, the men fall down and tremble in fear, and repentance, and worship. And it's not about them, it's about God. Be careful of these things. Verse 19, what's the problem? What's the problem? They are not holding fast to the head from which, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. The problem here, Christ, Paul brings them back to Christ again. The problem is that they do not hold fast to the head. They don't hold fast to the head. This, this word hold, 
it is to, to remain closely united with someone. We understand in verse 19 that it is Christ who supplies growth that is from God. It is Christ who's our head. He's where we find growth. Not through visions. Not through angels. Through Christ and Christ alone. Come back to Christ. David Garland said this. He said, Paul therefore reminds his readers again of Christ's supremacy over all things their total dependence on him. They will not find growth or fullness in earthly taboos, celestial observances, worship of angels, or star-spangled visions. Such things can only puff up human beings with hot air of empty pride and snap the bonds that moor them to Christ. Those things are detrimental to their walk with Christ. The third warning of Paul is in verse 20 to 23 is against asceticism. It's against the ascetics. Ascetic is simply self-denial. And we've seen this all throughout church history even. That, that self-denial is, is a form of becoming more and more spiritual. You, you think of the Eastern religions. Men and women who are highly disciplined and devoted. They, they're highly, they, they deny themselves all kind of physical things. There, nothing deals with the heart. It never deals with the heart issue of sin. Never. See, there's nothing wrong with spiritual discipline. In, in Scripture, we, we see fasting. We see all types of things. We, we, we see times to, to step away or times to refrain from things. There's nothing wrong with that. It is, it's a positive thing, but it's always focused on Christ. It's always focused on drawing near to God, not making myself more spiritual not earning a certain level of spirituality. That was the problem with the Pharisees that, that walked around and fasted and had the gloomy look on their face and, and brought attention to themselves. What were they doing? They were making themselves look more spiritual. Fast. But fast for the glory of God. Fast that you might become closer to Him. The problem with the ascetic is that he attempts to sanctify the soul through the discipline of the body. A, a physical outward discipline to sanctify and make the soul more holy. The word makes you holy. John 17, 17. It's the word, the truth of God that makes us holy. God makes us holy. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not the righteousness of works. Verse 23. He says these things have the appearance of wisdom. He refers to them as being self-made religion. And what is his conclusion? They are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Of no value. The, these matters, he says, these matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom, the appearance of wisdom, they have no value against fleshly indulgence. Be warned. The, the worship is empty. The humility is false. The discipline does nothing for the heart of men. It's the deception of legalism and asceticism and mysticism. It's just the deception that we try to become more holy. We try, we try to add stuff to the gospel. And it becomes man-centered, man-focused. He brought him back to Christ in verse 20. 
right away he kind of looks at him you can see him kind of grinning and saying listen if you've died with christ the elementary principles of the world why as if you were living in the world do you submit to yourself to decrees such as do not handle do not taste do not touch why would you do that if you've died to christ if you've died to sin and you live in christ why submit yourself to those things why live in him Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20, what does Paul say? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. My life is lived in faith in the Son of God, not by a bunch of rules to try to add on to the gospel. So the question is this, is Christ supreme in your life this kind of wraps up a section that we've been in for for four or five weeks i guess is christ supreme in your life are you trusting in christ alone for salvation or have you allowed religion to creep back in and start adding things to qualify you before god to prove your love for God. Paul warns us tonight. He says, this may sound silly. It may sound humorous. It may seem laughable. But these are real dangers that you and I face. So guard yourselves, Grace Baptist Church, from legalism. Guard yourselves from mysticism. Guard yourself from just self-denial to try to bring about holiness trust God to work in your life in his power by his grace through his word follow him wholeheartedly pursue him and love him with all of your heart soul mind and strength let's pray Father, we bow before you tonight and we understand that we are sinful men and women. And God, those of us in here tonight who are following you, who have been saved by your grace, God, we are still susceptible to being deceived and to allowing our relationship with you to become a religion. God, I pray you guard us from that. And I pray that we would live in freedom. And God, I, I confess, that's hard for me sometimes to just get my, my mind around what does it really mean to live free in Christ. It's hard sometimes, God. I, I desire and I want tangible things and things to do and not do, and that's the appeal of legalism. God, we know that your word does give us instructions, clear instructions on what pleases you, how to bring you glory. And God, I pray that we would just pursue you that we would just love you love our heart our soul our mind and our strength now that is the greatest commandment you said that yourself and god that is freeing to the believer god we ask for you to help us to live by your grace and for your glory and that you would guard us from vain deceitful traditions of men 
and empty religions and empty philosophies that we've talked about over the last few weeks that we would know that Christ is better than all of those things. God, we love you and we thank you for the love you displayed for us in Christ's name, amen.